0: Attractions to the same sex, unprocessed childhood trauma, porn addiction. Our marriage seemed doomed. If marriage is primarily about attraction, it was. If marriage is a gospel picture, it absolutely wasn't.
1: An Impossible Marriage, what our mixed orientation marriage has taught us about love and the gospel. A book endorsed by Matt and Lauren Chandler, Ann Voskamp, Gabe Lyons, and Marvin Williams is now available for pre-order.
0: Find it at impossiblemarriage.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 138, Why So Much Shame in the Pandemic?
0: Hello and welcome. I am your host, Lori Krieg, and I am going to shortly, Lord willing, be with my favorite licensed therapist, Jesus-like Carpenter, Argyle expert, the man with all the adjectival phrases, my husband, Matt Krieg. He is dropping our kids off at my parents' house so that we can record this episode, and swimsuits were involved, and blah 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 He'll come. But we do have in the studio the most professional radio voice among us. Producer Steve. Hi, guys. Doing what he does best, (laughs) balancing all the things, but I am so excited. Guys, before we get rolling here, I do want to invite you to join our book launch team. It would mean so much to us if you joined our community of shame-shredding folks, because that's right, we're talking about shame-shredding today, uh, but who are helping to get the word out about an impossible marriage. Impossiblemarriage.com is the site for that, but today... I was just talking to my sister on the drive over and I was like, we've done a few podcast episodes this week, but I am really excited for this one because I love this guy. And so he's back for a three, threefer <laughs> Kurt Thompson, the lead shame shredder himself is in the house. Kurt, welcome back.
2: Laurie, right, thanks so much. It's great to be with you.
0: Thank you, man. For those of you who do not know Kurt, he was on our show in episodes 64 and 65. That was like almost like 65. Five-ish episodes ago, if I can do math. I don't, maybe not. But it was season two, (laughs) season four, but he's the one. If you guys hear how we have, since you were on, Kurt, pivoted our question we ask everyone. We used to ask if the gospel is, I'm more sinful than I believe, more love than I imagine. But Kurt gave us some great feedback on that episode 64, and we switched it around. Uh, So now we switch it to talking about love first, and then sin. Mm. Uh, So... (laughs) More about him, besides the fact that he has edited us well, (laughs) in kind and shame-free manner. But he is a psychiatrist, speaker, and author, and he connects our intrinsic desire to be known with the need to tell truer stories about ourselves, showing us how to form deep relationships, discover meaning, and live integrated creative lives. He's the author of Anatomy of the Soul and the Soul of Shame, retelling the stories we believe about ourselves. I have like 15,000 million trillion questions because shame is all over the place right now, and we're just throwing shame bombs laced in anger at each other. But first, let's get to know you a little better and our audience a little bit better with this question of the week. How would you Kurt we'll start with you walk into a room differently if you knew you were deeply loved by God
2: well you know it's uh it's a great question and um i I'm, I think my response to that is uh, uh i i can I can tell you how I wish I would walk into a room yeah and I think about the the first thing that comes to my mind is the you know the passage at toward the end of the, of the Beatitudes where Jesus says, you're the light of the world and uh, you're a city on a hill and, and who would light a lamp and then stick it under a bush, under a bushel. And I, I hear that passage. I read that passage all the time. And I hear Jesus saying to me, you're the light of the world. Don't screw it up. Mm. And I, and, and then I wonder what would it be like if I heard him saying to me, you are absolutely illuminating. They're mm. absolutely illuminating. And what is it like not just to uh, you know, kind of like when we say that we know that we're loved, um, we can talk about that um as, you know, kind of this abstract fact that we mm-hmm. walk around with, kind of like I walk around knowing that three times four is twelve. But that's a that's a very different thing than to walk around with the remembered sense of hearing somebody's voice and seeing somebody's eye contact. That, uh, you know, persuade you like in your very viscera that um, you're you're held, you're cared for, you're protected, you're seen, say, you know, you're safe, secure, those things that we talk about. So I think that what would happen would be I would be uh, I'd be less anxious. And I think I would be more uh, I I would I would be thinking less about what other people are thinking about me. Yeah. And I would be thinking more along the lines, which I hope we will talk about today, more along the lines of being curious about the other and interested in um, asking and being and wondering about what's the next new thing that God is going to create? What's the next artifact of beauty that's going to happen here in the next five minutes Mm. um, between me and whoever else is in the room?
0: Mm okay so listeners you see why we love him okay okay all right let's let's move it on over to steve odell which listener response stood out to you
1: i really liked this one uh it was karis
0: if i knew that god deeply loved me and i was convinced of that i would smile so much more i would know that he wants healing for me and that he's with me all the time, and I would love myself so much more.
3: Mm.
1: Um, and I don't know that just resonated with me because I I think about entering a room and I I'm not even conscious of how how self conscious I am, you know? Like,
0: totally.
1: Um, and I feel like there would just be this freedom. I would have a big smile and maybe even some like joy tears just kind of like weld up there, and, and I would just like just feel free and full of joy.
0: Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I relate to that. And with the magic of radio, uh, I'm going to ask Matt, who is now here. Good job, Matt. How are you doing? You doing okay? I'm doing good. Okay, Matt, I know this is a question we've been tossing around our house a lot is this whole idea of how would you walk into a room differently if you knew you were loved. So you didn't get quite get enough time to grab an audience response, but I'd love to know it from you. How would you walk into a room differently?
1: Yeah, and and I think being an introvert and being someone who in my fallen state tends to kind of turn inward if i If I knew I was loved completely, I would walk into a room much more um open hearted and and pursuant I guess of other people mm-hmm. um and so yeah less self conscious more more just putting it out there and and trying to make connections with other people
0: love it. I appreciated this from Dave on Facebook, which, guys, if you want to answer a question of the week, uh, I often, depending on how much I remember to post things, usually at least on Facebook, if you friend me on Facebook, Lori Krieg, uh, or on uh, Instagram or Twitter, I'm posting there this question of the week so we can hear from you. This is Dave's response, and he said... He would walk into a room excited, confident and joyful to walk in a room knowing I am deeply loved gets rid of worry that I might not belong, say the wrong thing or heaven forbid, get a funny look as if I'm dressed wrong. If I could just grasp the depth and support that kind of love is walking in a room stops being about me because I'm good to go. I can walk in confidence in what I'm there for. The joy of other people is, well, I can laugh, listen, talk, pray, dance, be who God created me to be myself. If I can walk into a room with that kind of confidence, I can change the atmosphere by bringing the presence, capital P, that is me. Someday. Someday. I don't really know if I have anything to add to that but I would just for myself yes to all that and I hear echoes of it in all of all of our words and Steve what you're saying the joyful teary eye uh, I can walk into a room and I can feel immediately like do they like me that's like the question am I okay do they read my stuff and they <laughs> all of a sudden we're enemies now um, but if I know I'm loved then I can just love them it doesn't matter what they think about me so I love this question But let's shift it to a gospel one, which, not that that wasn't gospel. Uh, This is the one we alluded to before. And um, Kurt, you have answered it for us already. So I kind of just want to know your present day interaction with the gospel, which if it is, the gospel is, I'm more loved than I imagine, yet more sinful than I believe. How has the gospel been good news for you lately?
2: I... Have found that it has been good news and it has been hard news hmm. um, because, and I and I think you know, given given my current state of affairs, I mean that I'm 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 a human being in on, on this side of the new, the fully expressed new heaven and earth. Uh, I think the good news is always going to come with hard news, and you know, I'm 57, and uh, in the last several weeks in particular, have found myself finally doing some important work uh, that has to do with um, healing related to my relationship with my parents who, who both have been, you know, long deceased.
3: Yeah.
2: And uh, the good news is really uh, in in my particular case, the good news is about me having um, uh, frequent, long, um, anger filled, um, incredulity-filled conversations
3: Mm.
2: with my father and my mother in the presence of God,
3: Mm.
2: in the presence of Jesus. And Mm. what that amounts to is that uh, I am um, experiencing what it means to kind of sit with uh, really, really hard feelings that I've essentially wanted to avoid for a long time, But uh, the reason that we can even have these conversations is because Jesus is in the thick of it. Mm. And so that's how I would answer your question.
0: Mm. I love that. You don't hear of many 57-year-old men saying the sentences you say, or it's just, it's rare. That's few and far between who are willing to do that soul work. So thanks for modeling that for us, that humility and that necessary heart stuff. Mm. Let's... Yeah, go ahead.
2: Well, I just want to say, you know, I mean, a, a accompanying this, of course, is the additional reality that I'm um, uh, like, I'm not happy about this. This is the other thing, <laughs> yeah, right? Right. Like, I, I mean, like, I, I want to say to Jesus along the way, like, what the heck? Yeah. Right. Like there, there there, are moments when I pause and want to say, why weren't we doing this when I was 17? Right. Why weren't we doing this even when I was at some point in the past? Why am I waiting till I'm 57? And so, you know, I'm not, uh, e- even in this, I find all kinds of ways to do this work imperfectly mm. and, um, I wish that were different, but, um, uh, but, but I would say, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I'm doing it rather than not doing it rather right. than, uh, you know, walking around burning all the energy that I've burned for as long as I have, yeah. just kind of managing all that stuff as opposed to actually dealing with it.
0: Mm. Okay. I want to ask a million questions about that, but I do want to talk about shame. Um, I just want to be like, all right, we let's all? talk about what you're working <laughs> on. Yes. And I'm sure shame plays a role in it. And maybe mm. even in that delay of processing your own story. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe we'll come back to that. Yeah. But our world, generally speaking, is hurting. It's no shock. Uh, we need mm-hmm. help and hope. And um, I just would love, I just want to ask, where are you seeing shame wield its ugly head right now?
2: Well, you know, the easier question would be, where isn't it happening? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, You know, that would be a much shorter and to the point answer. I think uh, as I, I, you know, I've written a number of essays about this, you know, the the COVID uh, experience and our experience of uh, racial uh, disintegration and so forth and what we're trying to do in response to that.
3: Mm -hmm. and.
2: You know, one of the first things I wrote about the, the COVID experience is that it's not it's not just a, a pandemic that has created distress, created anxiety, but it reveals who we are. Right? It's a it's a it's a revealing event. Mm. And uh, our experiences in which we are now kind of succumbing to shame, either through. Um, how we respond to the COVID risk, you know, the, the COVID pandemic. This, this, and, and, and I'm not just, you know, I, I think it's important for us to say, like, I'm not responding to COVID. COVID is an abstract idea. What I'm responding to are real people who are in the grocery store who either choose to put their masks on or don't put their masks on. and You know, all the different ways that one person finds themselves in a different place than another person finds themselves. And all the stories that we tell ourselves in our head about that other person and what they think and what they don't think and so forth and so on. And so what we discover is that shame isn't now telling these stories for the first time, right? It's just that COVID now gives these stories the opportunity to come full blown Mm. into their maturation. I mean, it's not like it's creating uh, our problems. It's just revealing that these are the kinds of people that we are, and these are the kinds of people that we always have been. And so it also becomes, I mean, not unlike Jeremiah in his time, right, where people thought that you know, there are all kinds of opinions about the nature of the Babylonian virus, if you will. Right. That was coming to sack the city. Everything from we're going to this is only going to be like about six to six to 12 weeks in in duration. And then we'll all be back. And, you know, Jeremiah gives him a very different picture. Mm. And he said, when you get to Babylon, do the work, do the hard work of community building, do. And, and you're going to have to do it in a new culture. You're going to have to do it where. You know, all the laws are different, where all the rules are different. You're going to, and you're not just going to do it for yourselves, you're going to do it for somebody else. You're going to do it for the life and the health of the city in which you're going to be embedded. Because my mission in the world is to, as it has always been with Abraham, to bless you so that you become a blessing to the nations. And even in your brokenness, even in your sinfulness, like I'm going to do really good, beautiful work through you even when you at least expect it. And so I, I think that, you know, shame shows up in, a, you know, in, in a hundred different ways, but mostly in the condemnation that I nurture in my own head, first of all, about myself, and up that I then, you know, project and, and extend to other people um, because I want to just share that with everyone. I just want to share my condemnation with people around it.
0: Mm-hmm. We and, think it um, will alleviate it in us. Is that why we're doing that?
2: Of course, it's the way, I mean, you know, the brain when left to its own will do whatever it can to reduce its distress as quickly as possible. And one of the ways that we do that is through shaming other people because it alleviates me of the acuity of this felt sense of being alone, the acuity of this felt sense of not being enough and so forth and so on. And here's the thing, I mean, I, I, I you know, we, we talk with patients about this all the time and, and all, all the different categories that are in play right it's it's COVID, it's race it's politics it's you name it but these are all convenient um kind of like canvases mm. on which i can paint the trouble of the world and say the problem is with COVID, the problem is with race relations the problem is with this thing and it's easier for me to do that than to say i am the problem
3: mm.
2: and i want to so we're, we're asking patients routinely Uh, Are you able to, are you able to focus your attention in such a way that the question that we ask is, how can we be people of greater love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, when all of this is in a different place? I want to know that whatever happens with any of these things, that I am becoming more like Jesus. Yeah. But that's not what shame would have us do. Shame would have me clutching, hoarding. Shame would have me devouring, consuming. Shame has me condemning. Shame has me isolating. Shame does not have me asking the question, what is the next new thing I can create with those in particular with whom I have great difference? Hmm. What's the next new artifact of beauty that I'm going to create so to your, you know, your your question, like, what would it, what would life be like if you were to walk into the room fully loved? Well, I don't. I mean, you know, I, I think that we are we are not just made to be known. I think we're made to be known. That is our deep calling. But we're made to be known on the way to then create beauty and goodness in the world. Like we're not just here to be known. Like we're here to make stuff. If we're going to be fully living in our creator's image then we will create as our creator also creates. And this is now new creation. This is generativity, as Mako Fujimura likes to talk about. This is this sense of like a theology of making, right? That we are here to echo the resurrection and to do so in particular with those with whom we believe we have great difference. And that requires me to do the work of inquiry and ask, you know, I can't give people what I don't have. Right. And unless and or until I am uh, doing the effortful spiritual work, whether it is in community with people and, and whether it's through zoom or phone calls or now social distancing in my backyard, doing the effort of being revealed of being known by others such that that would echo what it means for me to be loved by Jesus if I'm not doing that work, I can hope till the cows come home that I will someday wake up and magically feel like I'm loved in the way that you're describing. And that's not the way the human being works, right? I'm going to, I'm not going to feel loved just because it magically happens to me. Uh, We like to talk about how, you know, shame does not tolerate uh, a space where we're actually telling our stories truly and being loved in response to that.
3: Mm.
2: And in order for us to love people, we said, right, we can't give people what we don't have. And, you know, you we look around at all of our situations. We say, well, it's not we're, we're not you know, it's not that easy for us to love one another, especially to those who are different than us. But I can't love you well if I haven't received love. And even more difficult for us to love others, especially those of difference, is we're actually it's actually even harder for us as humans to receive love. Hmm. we'd like to think that that's not true. Like, I like, I'm like, I'm looking for love. Like I want to have, I want to be loved. Like who who doesn't want to be loved, but when it comes right down to it, it's actually quite difficult for us to allow ourselves to be loved. Because if you're going to come for me, if you're going to come for me to love me, my brain knows that part of that is going to include you finding parts about me that I hate the most. And when you do, you'll go. And as much at one level that I really want you to love me at another level, I'm just terrified. And so I practice not letting you love me. And I don't even know that I'm doing that. And then I'm supposed to love other people, especially those who are different. And so I need to be in a place in which I'm being actively loved in order for me then to allow that to be a fountainhead that enables me to create goodness and beauty in a world and in particular where people are not expecting it.
3: Mm.
1: As you talk about this, like this idea that it's it's just hard for us to truly accept love, especially if someone, you know, has these places that they truly hate about themselves or their story. And um, how how much of that, like, yes, we are relational people. How much of that is kind of a, a spiritual struggle in nature?
2: As opposed to,
1: as opposed to purely a, a human-to-human relational thing.
2: So uh, you know, it's it, it's a great question, but I, I I would probably say that the way we even ask this question um, reveals a little bit about how we uh, anthropologically structure our understanding of the world, right? So if we think that there, if we think that human relationships are different than spiritual relationships, we're already kind of like um, thinking like somebody who's coming out of the enlightenment would think. Right. And of course we all tend to think like this, right? <laughs> you know, the Hebrews would have said, like, there's really just one world and it's God's world. And there are different dimensions of this. And so I, I would say that um, these, inter- you know, the Holy, you know, the, the Trinitarian theology, one of the reasons why I think it's such a huge deal for us is that it really lets us know that for us to live in the image of God means that God isn't just one thing right christian faith is not a monadic like religion right live well, this is three this three person god that we can't like get our hands around we can't figure it out so forth so to live like god it's to live with god to live in that community with god and in the same way i can't talk about my spiritual life without talking about my human life without talking about about, about my relationships like these relationships and the Trinity is embedded in this together. And so what we do with people, we do with God, what we do with God, we necessarily do with people. As I'd say earlier, like this, this work that I'm currently doing about my, you know, with my mom and my dad, like, I just really never knew that I was walking around working so hard to make sure that a, I was going to not piss you off and B, I wasn't going to make you anxious. Mm. And, and like, this is what I do. Like for 57 years, like I've been walking around just making sure that I don't make people angry. And I, and I don't know that I'm doing this. And, you know, it's like, again, like, what the heck? Like, why has it taken me this long to figure this out? And the the reality is that like I this this is how I viscerally often respond to God, despite what I'm taught. Right. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop mm. in certain elements of my life. Mm. And so to the degree that I am uh, in these kind of this, these prayer exercises with my dad in the room right? and with Jesus, I'm having to get comfortable with yelling at Jesus about my dad and like taking the risk that, you know, he's not going to get his lightsaber out and like cut my tongue out. <laughs>
0: right? and, Jesus lightsaber. Right. 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 Yeah.
2: And um, but, but, but there is a sense in which like, these are the kinds of things It's this kind of practice that we actually have to do. Like, you know, in our modernity, like we've kind of like spirituality is just like this ethereal thing that happens in in some magical place that doesn't really exist. No, spirituality happens when I'm sitting in this confessional, this room of people in which I'm talking about these things. And I am actually working to stretch my imagination to imagine that Jesus is in the room. This is not a figment of my imagination. This is not pretend. This is not, oh, just a metaphor that we're going to use to help me like do the work in the room. No, I have to stretch to see this, to mm. be this. Mm-hmm. And we become so conditioned to sense that, like, well, the only things that are really real are the things that like I can tap my hand on that are really, real in the room, right? The material universe, like our imaginations have become stultified. I mean, they're just, they're just so truncated. Yep. And it's that kind of work you know, I don't part, part of why I say like my, my imagination is is difficult to get it going, mostly because I'm afraid to do it. I'm afraid to have that conversation with Jesus and my father or my mother in the room
3: mm.
2: um, for the same reasons that I would have been afraid to have like been angry at my dad in the first place. Because mm. you don't know what you're going to get. Yep. And so this kind of work and, and this is the thing. This kind of work, in fact, is the work of creating beauty. Yeah. And this is the other thing that I I would say that's really important for us. We identify our world largely in terms of problems to be solved. Right. In medicine, like we are, we're great at pathology, right? We pathologize things. And, and, And this is not an untrue way of thinking about the world. It's not a bad way of thinking about the world. But... To identify the world as a problem to be fixed, to identify like a problem in my marriage, for instance, Mm. what's the problem here? That's a completely different question and accesses and turns on a completely different set of neural structures in the brain than to ask the question, what do I want to create here? Mm. What do I want to make here?
3: Mm.
2: When I ask the question, what's the problem? Though subtle, I become more anxious when I ask the question, what is the act or artifact of beauty that we want to create? I have a different emotional response to this. Now, I might get anxious later on for other kinds of reasons, but it's not about creating beauty. That's a whole, that's about like, I'm afraid this is not going to be good enough. I'm afraid this is going to be, I'm going to make mistakes. There's going to be paint all over the room and so forth. And so on. it's, it's, it's still kind of like the part of me that's working primarily out of my left logical kind of analytic condemning brain as opposed to my right hemisphere that really wants to know what is this thing that I want to make?
0: Mm. Yeah. Okay. So good. I'm like, I need to write, go through this and write down quotes for myself because it's so critical. Okay. So what's popping into my head right now. So I'm walking down the street. No, I'm running uh, five 5 mile run with my daughter this uh this week and I'm pushing her and she's 6 and she's very tall. I'm pushing her in the stroller. This is just a way I can chat with my kids, not have to be like face to face and just talk. A woman's coming down the street the opposite direction and she goes, "Good morning." And I go, "Hi." But I'm out of breath because I'm literally running a hill pushing a 6-year-old, 6 miles or 5 miles. Yeah. And then she next step, she screams at me, I said, good morning. And I'm like, I said, hi. But like, I've never seen her before. I would have seen her one time, maybe a year ago, walking these same dogs. But I was like, oh my goodness. She's not mad at me. Like I had to like process this. I'm like, she's struggling. She probably be her kids have been isolating from her for six months, blah, blah, blah. So can you talk into I want to talk to a listener who maybe is like, okay, that's kind of funny and ridiculous, but we have Mm -hmm. our own versions of ridiculous in this season where we do a tweet, we do a thing, and then we maybe go to our homes and we hate ourselves for doing that thing. Can, I don't, can, do you hear the situation I'm talking about? Can you speak to the listener who maybe can relate, maybe pointing fingers at her, but also is maybe pointing a finger at themselves?
2: So in this story, the listener is you or the listener is your neighbor who passes you with the dogs?
0: My, the listener is, I think, the the neighbor, because I can even be the neighbor, you know, yeah. I can throw that. How can I go from screaming at someone mm-hmm. to processing the my pain, like you're talking about, to asking these beautiful creativity questions? Like, I don't yeah. even know, Kurt, I just screamed at this runner.
2: Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah yeah i mean i i think one thing that's really important to say here is uh where we find ourselves is truly a hard place Mm -hmm. like that you that that we would be screaming at a runner (laughs) um you know it's i mean i i can imagine actually wanting to do that um (laughs)
3: Why? Just, Why would you, you know, want to scream?
2: It, just to put it out there. Well, you know, because like you just have lots of screaming that you've been holding on to for yeah. such a long time and you gotta scream at somebody. And so yeah. I figured, like, well, you're like, you can take it. Look, <laughs> you're put look, you're pushing a stroller uphill with a kid in it who's maybe too big for the stroller. You're tough. You can take it. I'll scream at you.
0: Yeah. Okay, I feel you. I have a little more empathy okay. even for it. Right. Okay.
2: Great. Right. So right you're here. you're absorbing it. I great, great. I mean, I, I the first thing is that you know in in one of the essays I wrote it, it the essay was about grief, mm. and uh you know we're we're not we're we don't have a lot of practice at actively grieving yep we we run in our practice we have these confessional communities that we that we run, and we we, we call them that these con and, and we call them confessional not because they're con- it's not about confessing sin, it's about telling our stories more truly. This is what it means for us to confess the nature of the world as it really is and we have this thing that we that we talk about in this group this this phrase that we say that we are people of great longing mm. great desire and we are people of great grief and in the middle of those two we practice lament and hope mm. that's what we do and this is who we are as people of faith we are people of faith who are practicing lament and hope in the middle of being people of great longing, right? I, I'm, I, you, You're you longing to get up the hill, yep. right? And on your run. <laughs> yes. This woman who came toward you is longing to uh, have someone greet her. Yes. And all it takes now is the slightest misstep. All it takes is just there would be a little bit of my not getting what I want to reveal yep. how much grief I have going on with me. Right. We know like her yelling at you is not about you. It's, it's about like larger things, of course. But part of our problem, of course, is that we've lived in a world in which we've effectively avoided paying attention to our longings and our griefs long before COVID got here. Right. Long before, you know, George Floyd was killed, yep. long before this particular election we are people who don't tell our stories truly and that's what i mean when we say like covid is just revealing this and so i would say you know it gives us an opportunity like the babylonian exile gave the people of israel it gave them an opportunity to really tell their story more truly
3: hmm.
2: god was no less present with them when they were in babylon than when they were in jerusalem He wasn't in the temple, but he was not not present with them. He was present with them and now giving them the opportunity really to name what was really true about their lives. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And so it's important for us to not be waiting until we're yelled at on the running path to be naming every day. What are the things that I really long for? Mm
3: -hmm.
2: What are the things that I'm grieving And I can't just name them to myself. I have to have other people who are listening to this. Yeah, I have to have other people because who who can hear this, because it is in my unnamed longing and grief in all the work that I have to do neurobiologically and interpersonally to kind of contain all that. It's in that space where shame takes up residence because at some level, I'm, I, you know, I, I think like I shouldn't have these longings. I think I shouldn't have these griefs. I think I should be a better person than that. I think all the all the list of things, all the shoulds that shame wields leads then to these moments where I explode on the running path at some unsuspecting mom who's just running with her kid in the stroller. And so there is as much about what we're doing to really explore not just, well, what am I like now that I'm in the middle of all this upheaval? Right. But what has the upheaval done to reveal what I was like long before March of 2020?
0: Mm. But that's hard.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it, and, and this is, this, this is the thing. Um, uh, you, you may you may be familiar with Eugene Peterson's book, oh, yeah. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, that whole notion of a long road. Uh, you're a runner, so you know what this is like. But unless you're a long distance runner, you don't know what you it's it, like. We're not very well practiced at this. Look, as I tell people now, my Amazon packages come before I even order them. Now, right? It's it's yeah. that Psycho. right? It's it, it's that instantaneous my capacity to delay gratification has shriveled virtually to nothing and so the whole notion that i have to be uh in this for the long haul and the whole notion that i then can see this as an opportunity to love people who need to be loved because like we're not it's not going to be there because this whole set of circumstances is sifting us it now becomes, it becomes the opportunity for me not to ask the question like, well, how am I going to get my needs met? But to ask the question, what new thing can I make? But I can't ask that question very effectively if I don't have people coming to find me
3: hmm. and I'm
2: not coming to find other people. So when we say it's hard, part of what's important is by our having contact with people on a regular basis who are saying to us, I just want to tell you, Laurie, like, I'm really proud of just how hard you're working,
3: Hmm.
2: (laughs) Matt. I'm like, I'm just really proud of how hard you're working. Like, I I don't really, it's not really about the benchmarks. It's not really about all the things you've accomplished. It's not about the net, you know, this book that you've written because like I've written a couple of books and like, it's really hard to do that. Mm. Like it's not enough just to have gotten the thing done, the process of going through all that, like, like you, you don't have words for that, for describing that. And I want to say to you, like, I'm really proud of you about like how hard you've worked.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so, you know, you, you can imagine, imagine what, imagine how surprised someone would be, um, uh, who you meet the next time, or maybe it's the same woman that you meet on the running path. And you stop and you say to her, because you don't even know her name, you say to her, I just want to tell you, I don't know you, although I do, (laughs) I don't know you. But I want to tell you, I know that what, you know, that life right now is not easy. And I'm just really proud of how hard you're working because I know it's hard to do.
0: Mm. Yeah, warm my soul for you to say to us, I can just imagine how it may, would for sure catch her off guard, but melt her longing that you keep talking about, this longing heart.
2: Right, right. And this this is the thing, right? Like, um, you know, there's research on this that has to do with this notion that like, you know, human beings can reach benchmarks, right? We we, you know, we win the Super Bowl, we win the World Series, we, we publish a book, we have these accolades and things. And we all know that as soon as you win the Super Bowl, like one day later, like they're on to the next year, right? But nobody really takes that much time to interview Tom Brady after a Super Bowl. Nobody really interviews him about training camp in the summer. Take us through those six weeks of training camp, Tom. What were some of the really hard things about training camp? What were some of the things that most people would have no idea that you're having to do that? Nobody really appreciate, like, no, but like nobody cares about this. They don't, they don't interview this, but I would be I, I, like, I would, I would, I would wait for the day. I would love to see the day when someone says, Tom, I just want to do an interview about training camp. I want to do an interview about how many reps and what it's like for you to do a hundred reps of the same formation over and over and over again. How hard is that to do that? Mm because this is what life is like. And for us to have somebody be empathically connected to us, acknowledging that this is hard to do in and of itself, lets me know that I'm not by myself in this. And we like to say, look, the brain can do a lot of really hard things for a long time, as long as it doesn't have to do it alone. And if I sense that you're coming for me, not just to tell me that you're glad for the things that I've accomplished, but that you're connected with how hard it is for all of us to do this, that really gives me comfort because I have the sense that really the part of me that feels like quitting, the part of me that knows that I haven't done this all very well, the part of me that has lost my patience, the part of me that has yelled at the runner on the on the running path, the part like that this is really hard. It's crucially important that we be do- communicating that message to one another. And then we say, let's keep going.
0: Mm. I love that in just what I'm hearing is COVID, this pandemic really is just revealing who we already were. And in some ways it can be as the crucibles God allows in our lives to be, to for us to experience it can really give us an opportunity to do this heart work. But at the same time, we cannot only do, we cannot do it alone. We need each other. And not to just once, oh, now you're better. Now you're a better person. A plus. Okay. That's just going to keep us on achieving. It is, we have to say, this is hard. Yes. COVID, et cetera. All the other pain, the racial tension, et cetera, that is real and true, is real and true, but let's get to the heart of it together. And I'm proud of your work.
2: Right. And I think, you know, we can talk about this. You know, your listeners will hear this and uh, they might be encouraged by it and uh, they'll think it's a fine idea. And then they might have the question, well, gosh, how am I supposed to actually do that? Right. And I think that this is another thing to 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 just to acknowledge that doing what we're talking about doing. uh, The reason that we say that it's hard to do is because it is. It's not because we're weak. It's not because we're pansies. It's not because we're stupid. Mm. It's not because we're just cowards. It's hard because it's hard to run 13 miles. But what are you doing? Kurt, all you're doing is putting one foot in front of the other. How hard can that be? It's that kind of hard. It's not quantum mechanics hard. Life isn't difficult because it's complicated, Life is difficult because we're afraid, we're ashamed, and we don't name what we want and what we grieve.
3: Mm.
2: And we don't do that in the presence of others.
1: I'm really glad you said that because as you're talking about even the possibility of like this scenario with Lori walking along and like the person running. stopping or yeah, running, sorry, <laughs> to this other person's walking along and stopping and like approaching someone who you don't know. Like, honestly, like, as I'm sitting here, I'm like, that would be terrifying, yeah. you know, because part of me would be like, they're going to think I'm just some strange weirdy that's coming up, giving them a compliment or saying I'm proud of them. And they're going to be like, what's wrong with you?
3: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: You know, and so just the, the acknowledgement that, that doing that, that, that taking that step of even being complimentary or affirming of, of someone else is something that, that makes you vulnerable Um, and, and just to acknowledge the hardness in that. So thank you for saying that. I, I really appreciate the, just that acknowledgement.
2: Mm. You're welcome. And I, you know, and and in the spirit of vulnerability to, to speak to that, you know, I mean, even if you, even if you were to say to name to them, like you're like, you might easily think I'm kind of weird. You might think I'm creepy, right? I'm a creeper to to say these things to you, (laughs) but I'm just letting you know, like, I'm not a creeper. Um, (laughs) Uh, but I just want to acknowledge, and 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 this this acknowledgement, this sense of people being seen. Yep. Right. Behold the God who sees me. Hagar says in the desert. This sense of being seen is the first thing that an infant needs if they're going to develop secure attachment. Right. Seen, soothed, safe, secure. I like. I you, we can't soothe what we don't see. And when people are seen for what is really true about their lives in a spirit where condemnation isn't in the room, it emboldens them. It enlarges the space that they have to then themselves go and do likewise, to go and create the next new artifact of beauty and goodness that God wants to make with them.
0: Mm. It's so important. Hey, Kurt, you want to share anything that you're working on these days?
2: Well, I just uh, wrapped up a manuscript for the, for the next book. And it, it really does, uh, the, the kind of a linchpin around it, it really is this question of beauty. Mm. And this notion that, uh, as Dostoevsky said, that beauty will save the world. And it's really an invitation for us to see that, first of all, we are people of desire, that we desire to be known. But we desire to be known for the purpose of creating beauty. And we, in our world, tend to think of it instead as a world of, as we mentioned earlier, a world of problems and pathology that we need to solve. But if we are paying attention to beauty, not just that we want to create, but recognizing often as Lewis ZS Lewis said, like it's this is beauty. Beauty is something we we want to become.
0: Mm-hmm. It's not just something
2: that I want to make. Right. And uh, what then happens when we begin to focus our attention interpersonally, neurobiologically to this? And then kind of using this template of these confessional communities that we work with and walking with particular pieces of art that we'll all be citing um, and using the fourth verse of the 27th Psalm as the scriptural kind of um, hard deck mm-hmm. in which we unpack what does it look like for us to become people of beauty and goodness as we are creating this. And how does that speak to not just what's going on for us as people from a mental health standpoint, but from the standpoint of our cultural renewal, from entrepreneurial renewal, um, you know, education renewal, all those kinds of things. So
0: love it. We are going to have to bring you back to talk more about it. And I can't wait to read it. Can you, you know, we've talked about this hard work of the soul. Can you send us out uh, with prayer, not just as a nice bow to attach everything, but because we really do need Jesus. We can't do this without him. Hmm.
2: I would be happy to. Thanks, Kurt. Holy Trinity, we uh, acknowledge your beauty and your mystery, your power and your joy. And we acknowledge... All of those things uh, as they are in play here as we talk to each other, even though we are in different geographical places, your, your life spirit is uniting us and drawing our attention and our listeners' attention to you and to the work that you want to do within and through them. And we know that... Uh, You are in the business of new creation. We believe that, although imperfectly. And we long to be able to be open to the new creation that you want to make within us and through us. We long for shame to not be part of the conversations that we construct and that we are part of. We long to be people who walk into the room comfortable and confident that we are illuminating such that the work that you long to do through us and the beauty that you long to create will emerge before our very eyes because you are in the middle of that moment and so my my hope uh father is that you would take those things of this past few moments that have been helpful and meaningful and that are good and beautiful and right and seal those things within us Mm. And allow us to leave anything else that we don't need to keep behind.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. And we say all of these things in the name of Jesus, the Christ. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Kurt. Really, really appreciate you.
2: You're most welcome. It's been a pleasure.
0: You guys. You can see, again, why we appreciate Kurt so much. Go in. If you haven't read The Soul of Shame yet, just do it. Just do yourself a favor or at least listen to episode 64 and 65 where he unpacks a lot of the the different pieces of what is shame. We didn't even dive into that today. We just assumed you knew. So uh, you can start there if you want to listen to this one and go back. But also check out Kurt's site, Kurt Thompson, MD. That's right. He's an MD. And (laughs) I wrote my script here. It's dope. It is. It really is. But while you guys are clicking around, if you like what you hear here on the Whole in My Heart podcast, we so appreciate if you took a moment to write and review the podcast. It helps others to find this content. Thanks. Next week's question, this one is super light because we need a little levity. But what is your favorite thing about fall? I'm going to hear sweater talk, (laughs) latte talk. Hopefully the PSL is dead at this point. We don't talk about the pumpkin, pumpkin spice latte. Just, I think we've done this one before, but it's kind of cozy. Let's have a cozy question. You can find me on the old Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. But thanks again, Kurt Thompson, for being here. Thanks again to him. But for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we will see you next week.